Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the Devil's Punch Bowl? Are there puckwudgies in Massachusetts? How do you make a paranormal-themed television production that actually works? Greetings and welcome to the 449th edition of Behind the Paranormal. Uh, excuse me, 849th. I just wanted fours in there. I'm very sorry. Time travel. 849th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I was only off by 400 episodes. Um, <laughs> I'm Ben, and those legendary questions came from my co-host uh, and partner in the paranormal adventures and dad, and happy Father's Day, Paul. Well, thank you, Ben. Uh, and today we bring you a familiar guest on a new subject, and we welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240. That is from anywhere, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Or you can also contact us via uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for those who are a little phone shy. Alexander Petikov is familiar to our listeners as a frequent guest and occasional co-host and an invaluable participant in some of our own paranormal hijinks. Way beyond that, uh, Alec leads an exotic life as a globe-trotting filmmaker specializing in Bigfoot and other disconcerting creatures. He was born in 1993 in South Africa during the last year of apartheid to parents who had fled civil war in the former Yugoslavia, and the family did not have a boring life. He grew up in the United States and has always been interested in global events, history, the outdoors, and adventuring. A 2015 graduate of Quinnipiac University in Connecticut with a BA in communications uh, with minors in history uh, and political science, he is the, the new executive producer of the series Chasing Legends. Nash Hoover is the host and co-creator of Chasing Legends ever since he was a wee lad. Nash has researched stories of strange creatures and other weird phenomena from all over the world. From his official bio, quote, with a knack for adventure and a passion to seek the unknown, he isn't afraid to push the limits of himself and his team to find the truth. From the, the coldest tundra to the hottest desert, Nash will travel far and wide to get to the bottom of any case thrown at him, unquote. Well, I hope nobody throws the flying fish of Jakarta at him, at least not till the end of the show. So Alexander Petikoff and Nash Hoover, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Yeah, thanks for having us. How you doing, guys? How's everything? All right, now just another glorious day in the New England neighborhood. <laughs> so I guess we'll start off with uh, something that's that you know is, is a seemingly simple question, but you know we can expand on it as time goes on. So what is chasing legends, and what legends have you chased? We'll start with Alexander. Uh, so I think actually Nash, since he created. This oh, that's story. right. That's true. He has a more seniority. So Nash, yeah, well, take it I'm away. So, Chasing Legends was a idea that kind of came to myself and my co-creator, Caitlin Keeley, back in the mid-spring of 2013. Um, we both were interested in the paranormal, both were interested in, you know, both cryptids and ghosts and I was more cryptid stuff, she was more ghosts, and we wanted to, we, we felt that there was a, a need for a show like this, um, you know, a, a genuine, uh, honest approach to uh, paranormal research, cryptid research, and so we kind of put this idea together, and we from there, slowly developed it. We came up with a name. We came up with a concept. We put together a small team and just kind of started filming stuff. And 
here we are getting ready to film our first like proper season. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Alexander, your thoughts? And when uh, did you? I'll ask you specifically. When did you join uh, the production team as executive sure. producer? Sure. So, um, so basically, I think it was this past winter. Nash and I started communicating. Uh, they were planning to do a, a sh- episode about the the Pukwaji here in New England and Massachusetts. So, he messaged me. We'd been friends online. You know, similar sort of passions. We're both young guys that are interested in this sort of stuff, and that can often be tough in a community where there's a lot of gatekeeping and and older folks even unlike you Paul and others who kind of don't really who almost feel threatened by you know new people on the scene bringing new ideas and new things forward so Nash just kind of messaged me was wondering about the Pukwudgie and if I was willing to help and I was like yeah absolutely and I will I will put you in contact with people who know more about that subject specifically um, so they came out here to Massachusetts, uh, kind of ironically, right before the whole coronavirus thing kicked off. I think it was two or three days before Massachusetts declared a state of emergency. So we got that last sort of glimpse of normalcy, um, and we, we filmed the episode. We had a great time, some great adventures, and then I think we just started um, kind of talking about, well, if I was to come on as an investigator or even uh, you know one of the executive producers alongside Nash and... Um, I really liked the idea. I liked kind of the crew and what what was being done with uh, covering the subject. So that's that's kind of where that started, and here we are now, just sort of um, concluding our Kickstarter uh, fundraising for this season one with some pretty amazing plans for the rest of the season coming up. So, what productions have there been so far? It's a question for either of you, and what have they been about? You mentioned the Puckwudgie one, which is the first time I met Nash. So our so our very first, I mean, we have, like I said, we've been doing this for seven years, so we have, you know, we have a few things on YouTube that are not the best quality, but they kind of serve as a, you know, uh, a way to kind of get people in the know of who we are. Um, so the first episode we ever shot was a, a ghost hunting episode, actually, um, as a local, a local spot here in Minnesota, um, Kind of a local, a uh, lot of local legend around it. Kind of, it's one of those places where you know the local kids would go and get a good scare. But um, I had always heard that there was actual genuine activity there, so we went and kind of filmed like a test episode, is what we called it. It was something that was never meant to kind of see the light of day, and we went and filmed kind of the our whole concept of kind of how we wanted everything to look, and we did our investigation and had some pretty crazy things happen. So we decided to put it out there, and uh, that became our first episode. Um, the second one we did, we've done the uh, Lake Pepin Monster here in Minnesota, which is uh, pretty much Minnesota's Loch Ness champ. It's a, you know, it's a, it's to be kind of a plesiosaur-esque uh, creature in uh, Lake Pepin. Uh, that one we had uh, a pretty interesting sighting, or we saw something that we couldn't explain, Um you know, we're not quite sure what it was. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say it was it was the monster, but it was definitely something weird that kind of coincided with, uh, with with sightings of in that area. Um, and then we kind of took a, a a few year break from filming, um, so to kind of work on our craft. And I worked on some other projects to kind of learn the more fundamentals of filmmaking and doing a project like this and how to do it correctly and then 
in 2018, we kind of came back and shot our probably our best episode to date, which was our Devil's Punchbowl episode, which is a uh, a location in Wisconsin that is just a super weird area. Um, we weren't really investigating any any one thing specifically. It was kind of just the whole area as a whole, and uh, there's you know balls of light reported. There's weird sounds, weird you know weird paranormal things, and then they, the people are claiming that there's you know like gnome-like creatures that live in this in this uh, this punch bowl. Um, so we went there. It just was super weird experience. A super weird place. Uh, it was like super misty when we were down there, so we could barely see. So it really added to the uh, the eeriness and the mysteriousness of the location. And we had a lot of things that happened to us that we were able to kind of, uh, I guess, almost debunk or explain. That kind of like uh, again coincided with a lot of the reports in the area. Um, and then yeah, and then now we. Filmed the Puckwudgie episode back in March, and that's looking really good, both to what we have, and that'll kind of be a part of our official first season that will come out next winter. Okay. Uh, ben has a question. So, in my opinion, I, I had the the fun experience of going to film school, although my degree is in, in sound design and did a lot of work for, um, like, you know, production sound. But um, I, I had the sort of weird experience of having to do a lot of media criticism um but in in a very sort of broad sense so i'm not i'm not attempting to criticize it what i'm trying to do is ex- explain where i'm coming from so here we are uh documentary filmmaking right it's kind of a, fu- a fun a fun thing because it's almost like a science experiment right you start with a with a hypothesis and then you try your best to prove or either disprove said hypothesis. So with this series, what is your hypothesis? So our main approach for these these cases that we uh, explore on each episode is we we kind of look into more of, you know, we don't go into it trying to prove if it is or isn't real. We go into it, you know, could it be real? So we, you know, we explore, like, every aspect that could go into the you know into these creatures and from you know the biological aspects the cultural you know uh, associations um, we we cover everything we look into everything we you know we do we do solid research and try to kind of reach a conclusion based on the research but as well as actually getting out into the field putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that actively look for these creatures. Uh, and have seen these creatures and couldn't, you know, could explain. Um, and then from that, we kind of to basically try to see if there's anything, uh, any known animals in the area that could be misidentified, um, or if we do end up having our own experiences that we can't explain, um, then we kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, really our, our approach is uh, exploring if these animals, if there's any real uh, possibilities of these animals existing and... Uh, or at the same time, what they could be instead. Uh, Nash, I wanted to ask you, this area in Wisconsin, is this by any chance what Linda Godfrey has called the Jefferson County Square of Weirdness? With everything you've described more. I mean, Wisconsin is a weird state. Um, We, you know, I know a lot of... uh, uh, 
a lot of investigators from there that you know pretty much tell me like oh you got to check out this you got to check out here you got to go here and um, like you could you could do an entire you know five season series on just Wisconsin and you would have interesting content every episode um, but I think the area she's talking about is more southeast of the state I believe because I know yes. there is a lot of uh, uh, the the Devil's Punch Bowl is in uh, is near Menominee, Wisconsin, which is on the west west side of the state. Okay, all right. Um, just curious about that. Yeah, I think the area that yeah, I think the area she's talking about is more uh, more in her area of the okay. the southeast. Now, um, uh, Alexander knows better than than most people uh, about uh, crossover phenomena when he's been with us. He's part of our uh, uh, gang in Pennsylvania, which has been investigating that uh, area f- since 2016. And uh, we're very, it was about a year ago, a little more than, well, a year and a month that we had, uh, I mean, we, the, the amazing UFO sighting uh, that we all had. And uh, then two of us have had Bigfoot encounters down there and you name it. And we have neighborhood meetings with people, uh, you know, 30 and 35 people who, who are talking about all the things they've seen. Um, there was an excellent, um, uh, I guess, interview that was filmed by uh, Alexander and Charles Credo, another one of our friends, uh, who was a great interviewer, uh, with three generations of a family. So what are your thoughts on... Are you, are you going to get into in Chasing Legends crossover phenomena? Or are you just going to concentrate on just one theme per episode. It's very difficult to pin this stuff down if you're going doing crossover stuff. What are your thoughts on that, Alexander? Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, yeah, I was going to mention it's amazing that that was almost a year ago. And um, I have a few more interviews from that year uh, with other folks that we interviewed there at the restaurant uh, mm. regarding the Bigfoot stuff. I'm hoping to release that at some point this summer. Um, so I think with the crossover phenomena, it's pretty interesting. Obviously, the first official episode of this season that we filmed was the Pukwudgie, which happens in the Bridgewater Triangle, which, of course, is another one of these areas. So I think you can't really talk about the Pukwudgie without at least peripherally mentioning the fact that the Triangle has all this other phenomena going on, whether there's other cryptids or ghosts, strange human activity. And I won't go too much into detail about that since I think that plays part in kind of the way we uh, investigated, but... I think you have to look at crossover phenomena in some other cases. I mean, some of the other locations we're going to look into, there may not be necessarily something that's paranormal in nature, but there are other phenomena. I think, as Matt Nash mentioned, natural phenomena. We're going to be in areas that have a lot of diverse types of wildlife across the country, uh, you know, that in one location will vary very greatly to another one. So you can have something... You know, that may be a natural phenomena that you're just not used to living in the Northeast or living in Wisconsin as you would be to Arizona or Louisiana or wherever the case may be. So I think that's what's interesting. And that's something that really drew me to the, the show was the kind of the approach of not really going in saying, well, this is a real creature. We're just here to get evidence of it. It's just sort of a, a, an examination of a, a particular cryptid and the, that's the focus. So th- while the, you know, while we do film in the Bridgewater Triangle and Freetown in this area, the Pukwudgie is the main focus of a Pukwudgie episode, and, and so will the other creatures as well. And I, I like that sort of level-headed approach. And for me, you know, most of my documentaries have been just documenting a particular case or a story and really laying out all the evidence. It's, I'm not present in the films. It's, it's done with the presence of a narrator. It's more of an... Uh, 
putting all the facts out on the table and letting people make up their own minds, where this is a way to kind of step out from that, change it up a little bit and say, well, no, this is what I really believe and this is what, you know, the conclusion that I've come out taking from this and, you know, some of the other team members may have totally different ideas about what we've run into or what we haven't run into and that's, I really like that. So for me, it's a, it's just a little bit different than what I'm used to doing as a documentary filmmaker and you know, now I'm more in the investigator role as well and, and that's obviously something that Nash has been doing for a while so it's just kind of fun for me to switch up a little bit and, and be involved in something like that and like I said, that's what drew me uh, into the project a lot as well. Sure. Uh, we have a question from our very faithful listener in Bogota, Colombia, Peter. And Ben, if you would take it away. Sure thing. Uh, so he starts off with uh, Alex, Alec and Nash. Uh, congratulations on your new show. Uh, I watched the first two episodes. I noticed that you didn't use a cold open or a teaser at the beginning. As most know, this is a widespread technique of opening with some dramatic clip for a few minutes uh, before the titles uh, that to grab the audience. Uh, yes, everybody is doing it. Uh, but it is effective. Would you consider adding teasers to the opening? Uh, this could be the most dramatic few seconds of a reenactment or witness account. <coughs> well, our first, uh, our house tunnel episode had like a bit of a, <coughs> a kind of a kickoff teaser of the overall episode. Um, our Lake Pepin episode did not, but then our Devil's Punchbowl episode did. Our Devil's Punchbowl episode, we did actually set up or at least tried to set up as, as much as we could as an actual show, where we had a opening narration introducing the show. You know, we had a you know somewhat of a title sequence, and then it kicked into the episode. So yeah, that's a, something that we are going to keep doing, which is you know we're going to each episode will have its own uh, own mini kind of teaser to you know get people kind of pumped up and at least give people an idea of what you know what to expect. And then we will uh, we are also going to cut together a more traditional show introduction that will be, you know, me narrating, you know, with a montage of clips, and then it'll kick into a actual, like, edited together title sequence that will carry through the whole series. And so these next, these next episodes, pretty much all of our episodes from Puck Woodgy on are going to, are going to look and sound like an actual TV show. Okay. Now, was this, I want to get a little deeper into some, some meat and potato questions here about a number of things, but, uh, before we do that, uh, is this going to be on Animal Planet or YouTube or where? Where can people see it? When this, this will be all available on YouTube. Okay. Well, that's the future of TV, if not the present. You know, YouTube. Yeah. Um, I think that we all realize that some of these expeditions, and uh, particularly uh, looking for cryptids, uh, can at times lead to the unexpected and perhaps danger, okay? Uh, I'm thinking of, uh, and Alexander's familiar with this, uh, that my own experience, uh, a Bigfoot encounter in the Pennsylvania Triangle was very positive. A little girl uh, who has yet to work up the courage to talk to us uh, from the area had a, a, a horrific experience, like 100 yards from where I had mine. So, I mean, what steps do you take to protect your crew? And uh, has there ever been a time when you have felt threatened or have had to leave an area out of fear? That's a question for both of you. If you want to start with so that. So we, we uh, especially with these these cases that we have coming up for this for our first season, we 
uh, Alex and I have really done our, our due diligence of looking into everywhere we're going to go. What are the you know what are the known dangerous animals? What sort of you know what sort of uh, environmental dangers are we going to have to face so that we you know we can sit down with everybody and be like, hey, you know we need to you know we've never been in an area like this before. We need to make sure that we're all you know all on our toes the whole time. No one goes off alone. No one you know this and that. So we're we're really taking. Uh, the safety side of things seriously with these next few just because of, you know, we're going into environments that we've never faced before. Um, as far as having to leave locations, we have, there's, we haven't really had anything where we had to leave. Um, nothing we really felt threatened. Uh, the health tunnel one was kind of interesting just because we, stuff kind of started to pop off and we weren't prepared for it. So that we kind of, we kind of left as things started to kind of increase in that aspect. But, um, other than that, we really had nothing yet where we felt that we had to get out of there. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alexander? Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, both of us have spent a fair amount of time in the outdoors, of course, and that's one of the things we'll be dealing with, uh, especially in some of the upcoming episodes, is, uh, you know, something like Massachusetts when we were in the Bridgewater Triangle, I don't think there was as much of a natural threat, so to speak, from animals as there would have been from people, especially in the in the Freetown Forest, you know, famous for serial murder and satanic rituals and that sort of stuff. We were definitely wary of that. And, you know, if, if we were to be approached by anybody, of course, we would uh, – luckily we're in a large group of people, so I don't think uh, – you know, not a large group, but, you know, there was a crew of five, six of us at a time, so I don't think that – we would really have uh, that feeling, but if there was a situation where somebody's uh, life was in danger or somebody was threatened, we would probably get out of there immediately. That's very important, uh, putting the safety of your crew, because we're all relying on each other essentially for safety. I mean, even being up on a cliff area, you want to make sure nobody's getting too close to the edge or trying to get trying to take the extra mile to get that shot. It's not worth it in terms of the risk. That sort of drone and, and that sort of stuff is for. We can risk the drone's life over somebody in the crew but um yeah that's what i think is so unique and 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 we will mention nash i'm sure we'll talk about all of the upcoming episodes but each one really presents a totally different type of environmental threat or danger because they're just such diverse areas of the country we're talking you know completely different biomes and environments in each and every one so what you see in in uh, southern Massachusetts, in the Bridgewater Triangle area during March, where we have snow on the ground, is going to be a lot different from some of the other areas. Okay. Now, where have you filmed so far? How far have you gone geographically? On the other side of the half hour, I want to get into something else, but uh, just sure. um, where, have you, where have you been? So I, I am based out of southern Minnesota, so um, a lot of what we've filmed up until a few years ago, was filmed, you know, within uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, pretty much places we could drive to. Uh, we have done some research and small filming in Ireland um, back in 2018, um, and then obviously Massachusetts, and then so really this is this year will be the kind of first time that we're really really branching out and getting out of the Midwest and exploring some of these uh, deeper stories and. Uh, filming some better some better content okay how often do you speak with local residents in these areas who've had experience you know such as the people in pennsylvania in our case yeah that's uh definitely uh, pretty often i mean i think that's one of the most important things and uh, we talk to people who are not only you know, just residents of the areas but people who investigate you know we're if we're going in to look at the Pukwaji, we're not going to, even though I'm in New England, I'm not certainly 
you know, I don't research the puck wedge or the triangle exclusively. So that's why we reached out to people like yourself, Paul, and um, others who are more kind of knowledgeable about the history of the area and what's been going on. And, and we talked to locals as well. I mean, I, I would just... I think it was interesting when we were there. I just struck up a conversation with, you know, a gas station attendant and people. We talked to them in a seafood restaurant in, in Fall River, just kind of gauging their interest or what they know about the subject. Because I think you never know what people will tell you. And we definitely got some surprising uh, answers from some of the folks about some of the stuff that's been going on in that area. So yeah. it's it's very important to talk to locals, absolutely, and um, we'll continue to do that. And Part of it is we plan out ahead of time, you know, who we're going to talk to in terms of if there's local scientists or local institutions or even researchers that specify in that monster, we'll set up a time to interview them. But part of the fun is also while on location, just sort of randomly striking a cup, up a conversation with people. I found even in some of my previous films, that's been one of the most interesting ways to get in touch with locals who maybe haven't ever shared their story. Or if you were to reach out to them, oh, would you want to do an interview for a TV show or documentary? They might not be willing. But if you're just kind of casually stirring up a conversation that's uh that's one way to find some extra leads so that's that's definitely something we'll plan on on doing going forward on each of the episodes absolutely okay we'll take our bottom of the hour break now and uh, on the other side we'll have some more questions for our wonderful guests alexander petikoff and nash hoover of chasing legends you're listening to behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on WOON 1240 am and 99.5 fm in new england's beautiful blackstone river valley we'll be right back The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON Radio. And our guests, Alexander Petikoff and Nash Hoover of Chasing Legends. So, gentlemen, in the issue of puckwudgies, we've been, that word's been coming up. And just so if anybody doesn't know what they are who's listening, uh, they are supposed to be little people, uh, who are not necessarily prominent in a lot of these areas. However, in the, the Bridgewater Triangle and in the New England and Eastern New York, Hudson Valley, uh, they do tend to crop up in local legends and in the legends of the First Nations. So uh, that's what we're talking about. And uh, the, the, excuse me, the documentary that has been done and is being prepared now has to do with that. So in your talks gentlemen, with people in that vicinity, which is within our listening area here, so people will be interested. Did you get any more stories of Pukwudgies other than what, the, than what I gave you in, in talking with the local folks? Um, we we had a few, um, because we were, when we were actually out filming out in uh, Freetown, um, before we actually came and, and spoke to you, Paul, we had... Uh, there were some local kids that were walking out to the Sonnet Ledge as we were leaving. And, you know, we just kind of, as a joke, said, you know, watch out for the puckwudgies or whatever. And they're like, hey, that's like the second time we've heard that today. So, <laughs> um, but other than that, a lot of the people that we talked to then when we were out there kind of spoke more of the the cult and the satanic stuff out there rather than the puckwudgie stuff, which was really interesting. And it kind of, it just, it brought a whole new uh, level and avenue of us to kind of explore uh, when it came to that stuff, 
You know, a lot of, uh, there's another place that is well known, uh, that has, and it's not, not so well known that, that there is a lot of cult activity, and that's Rendlesham Forest in England. And a lot of people don't realize that that's a real center of occult activity, uh, as well as the UFO thing and Yeti, as they call it, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, the, the, how do you know when you're interviewing someone? And this is something, you know, I'm, I've always been aware of. How do you know whether they're pulling your leg? Or whether they're really being honest. Because, you know, they, they might see a chance to have fun with you and get on camera and all this stuff. What do you say about that? Well, we really research the people that we uh, seek out to speak to um, to really make sure that they are, you know, at least as genuine as they appear to be. Um, you know, if we if we get... You know, if we get somebody that's telling the exact same story as somebody else, then we're probably not going to ask them. But if we get somebody that, you know, is is known, you know, is a known researcher that is known to put in the legwork and you know, and is well known to to be an expert or you know, uh, the you know, the right person to talk to in a case in a certain case, we obviously reach out to them. Um, and then obviously too, if we if we're looking for people that you know, are eyewitnesses. Um, usually we uh, get our eyewitnesses from those experts. Um, you know, we reach out to them. Hey, do you know, do you have anybody that's willing to speak to us that has talked to you? And they will usually put us in touch with uh, those people. So that way we're kind of getting, you know, we're getting people that they vouch for um, right. that they've already cleared. Uh, but sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you just kind of have to, you know, trust Trust what someone's saying, or take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I mean, we go into the we go into every case that we do with a you know a some level of skepticism. So you kind of have to take everything, even what the experts say, with a grain of salt. And um, but that just comes down to you know the work that we put in. You know, we're not just researching. You know, we're not just uh, interviewing somebody, taking what they say as you know 100 truth, and then calling it a day. We take what they say into account. You know, and then we discuss it as a team, and kind of go, kind of add in our own uh, uh, kind of. We, you know, we we discuss as a team, okay, and go from there. All but right. yeah, it's we uh, we really uh, try to uh, research the people that we speak to, so that way we're not getting just Joe Bull off the street that wants you know five minutes of fame. Sure. <laughs> Okay. If I could just add to that, um, sure. what I mentioned before as well, just about kind of uh, striking a conversation with people, I think once a camera's involved, once there's that implication, maybe that might lead somebody to want to, you know, like Nash just said, get their five minutes of fame. But what I think was interesting, if you're just sort of, you know, at a gas station or in a grocery store and just kind of talk to somebody that's in a local area that maybe this legend exists and you're just kind of, oh, you know, have you heard any stories about this? Do you know what it is? They may be more likely to just kind of either tell you it's complete, you know, crock of baloney or just actually tell you a story maybe be a little honest about it because a lot of times with these cases, if maybe they're lo- interested in it as a local, they don't have many people to talk to about it perhaps. They, they kind of have a moment where they want to talk to you. But you can usually tell pretty quickly whether or not somebody is just sort of pulling your leg, which I think is interesting. Um, so that's something I've experienced as well in previous uh, productions on my own, just people just, you know, if they make something up, you can kind of tell right away that it's not exactly 
very credible, especially if you've done your research on the case. And uh, like Nash said, I think one of the better ways to do it in terms of eyewitnesses and that sort of thing is just talking to people who can vouch for particular eyewitnesses and that sort of thing. But I do still think there is value in talking to just people as sort of a normal guy on the street, just asking a question, you know, what is this local legend? You know, maybe they'll tell you. Maybe they'll tell you, oh, it's a story and it's all just kind of made up for the tourists or <laughs> or maybe they'll give you some some – some interesting answers, and that's what I think we go for is those interesting answers. And if that develops into something, then absolutely be happy to use that um, going forward. But otherwise, you, like Nash said, you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism, absolutely. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, Alexander, you brought up a really good point when we start off the show that it is it is very hard to break into any paranormal community, really, especially if you're under the age of 45. It is, it is it, for whatever reason, nobody just takes you seriously. So what has, if any, has there been a general sort of response from the community on the production so far? And if so, positive, negative, nothing, you know, what's it been so far? Well, I was brought up by the kind of the, I guess, the godfathers of uh, local uh, paranormal research in the Midwest, which is... uh, the uh, Backroads lore guys was Chad Lewis, Kevin Nielsen, Noah Voss. Um, all of them really took me under their wing, especially Chad Lewis, and uh, showed me the ropes and, you know, kind of it helped me be a better researcher, a better investigator, really showing me, you know, where to go, what not to do, and this and that. Um, so I really lucked out with having uh, good mentors that have been in the field for a long time and have really sealed their credibility Um, But, yeah, overall response with the series, I haven't had anything that was really, like, negative. Um, Everyone uh, sees how we approach everything and and finds it refreshing, and, uh, you know, they see that we're genuine researchers, actually, you know, we're really looking for answers and not just trying to over-glorify these stories or make them into something they don't need to be. And um, so, overall, we've had really good response uh, from the older members of the community uh, coming into it. Okay. Definitely. I think, uh, just to add (laughs) on to that, I think it's absolutely, I mean, I came up in a similar way that as, uh, you know, a young person in the scene, oftentimes uh, some people find you as a threat, and I've I've talked about that with other folks like Nash as well who are kind of younger in the scene. They think you're threatening them or you're trying to take over the throne or whatever, and, and the only really way to prove yourself is just to put in the hard work, do diligent do your due diligence and just put out good stuff. And I think that's something that as well, other, uh, you know, like small town monsters and other groups I've had the pleasure of working with, uh, yourselves, Paul and Ben, you know, we kind of just make our own path. If people don't want to work with us or even acknowledge us, that's fine. We're going to do our yeah. own thing and we're going to be acknowledged regardless uh, because we're putting this content out ultimately because we care about the subjects. We're interested in them. We actually want to do the research. We're not just doing it to get famous or to get a TV contracts or whatever. That's not really the goal at the end of the day, I think. So I think we just we try to work with everybody. If they don't want to work with us, you know, so be it. But um, we just put the stuff out there because there's there's an audience that likes it, and we've gotten fantastic response. I mean, uh, our Kickstarter, which we've had going for just the past month, we have three days left, and we're already ahead of the goal by a substantial amount of that we had set at. So I think there's been a really good response. And to add on as well, I think 
Nash has been kind of in the Midwest. He's sort of been establishing himself, and and I've been here in the East uh, and working with other groups as well and sort of establishing myself. And I noticed a lot of people were very excited when they saw the two of us kind of come together, and it was almost like a joining of forces, which I think is awesome um, because, you know, we are covering areas that are out of the spots that we normally cover in the Midwest and the East Coast, respectively. So I think there's been a fantastic response, and we haven't really gotten anything super negative. And uh, people know that we're both stand-up guys, and uh, we, we can handle our own. So I think, um, for the most part, people are looking forward to it. And if they're not, I mean, whatever, we're just going to keep going. It doesn't really matter to us. Okay, excellent. Now, in the course of your work, we'll start with Nash here. In the course of your work, uh, Nash, what have you actually seen or experienced, heard, smelled, you know, as far as phenomena and these legends are concerned? What first-hand experiences have you had with these legends? So with our, our first ever episode, our House Tunnel episode, we had, I don't know, it was, I can only describe it as a, you know, it was a, a dark eight-foot-tall shadow figure that was darker than the darkness. Um, like, I could, you know, I could vividly see it through, you know, as a dark shadow in in the darkness. Um, so that, I mean, obviously that's, you know, kind of... Uh, I know I always joke with people that, yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of a primary cryptid show, but we, you know, we've made our start ghost hunting. Um, but that, that to me, was kind of our, our a really strange... Uh, uh, incurrence. And then when we were filming our uh, episode out at Lake Pepin, we kind of had an unusual wake pattern uh, appear against the current. We tracked it for probably a minute, minute and a half, and then it disappeared. Um, we were the only ones on the lake that day. We were nowhere near where we saw it. So that was uh, that was very weird. Our, our whole team saw it. We could see with our naked eye from the distance, and you know, so it was it was pretty prominent on the lake. Um, and then, you know, we've had some things, you know, that we have never shown that are pretty strange. Uh, we were doing some research kind of with the Wisconsin Dogman, Beast of Bray Road stuff oh, yeah, um, yeah. back in, uh, actually it was just this last year, and we came across a pretty large, uh, I should say it wasn't just one, it was a, a whole set of very large canine footprints that we couldn't explain um, very deep we casted it i have it here it's it's i don't know it was probably our 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 craziest physical evidence to date that we've ever found um i've had it sent off to some people uh that said it looks you know pretty uh pretty prominent to your typical gray wolf which to me is good because that kind of coincides with you know people could just be seeing a gray wolf standing up you know or something on its hind legs and attributing that to the, the stories of these dogmen. Um, but yeah, it was, they were, we found so many of those tracks. So it was definitely several of these animals. Um, yeah, those are probably my top three strangest yeah, that's, that's things so amazing. far. Yeah. I must say, I don't think I've ever run into any dogmen. Um, well, you know, it, it, there's still time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I said the, the beast of Exmoor in England in 1989, that was something else. But uh, Alexander, what uh, you're always in the thick of these things. Uh, what what have you experienced? I mean, I, I know the answers personally, but what, what yeah, have you experienced? Right. Share with our listeners. Yeah. So I mean, I've never seen anything I could definitively say was a cryptid or anything like that. Uh, I've just seen a number of times either strange lights in the woods. I've we we saw that both 
Paul um, in Pennsylvania the first year I went in 2018. Yeah, we saw I've those seen what I can only describe as a UFO in Northern California near where the Patterson-Gimlin film was taken back in 2015 or 16, I believe. I've seen, obviously, the UFO in Pennsylvania that we saw, which was by far the, the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Then I've had other experiences that, you know, while I can't say are definitive, um, are interesting. So uh, wood-knocking type experiences in, in New Hampshire and in Ohio. And even just this last summer, I had sort of an interesting encounter in an area I frequent where we had something kind of walking around the woods all night around our camp, left the audio recorder out, and we got phenomenal wood knock and response-type noises, and this is something that's described with Bigfoot behavior. I'm not saying that's what it is, but you know, it's just very interesting. And subsequently in that area this past winter, uh, during the midst of the coronavirus, I would spend a lot of time in these woods here in New Hampshire instead of having to drive to to the Boston area for work every day to have a little bit of extra time. And I'd head out into the woods, and I started encountering, especially after dark, uh, something would knock wood knock type noises and then i actually became friends with a property owner in the area who has had bigfoot activity on his property for decades uh and friends of mine with local research groups have also encountered things in this area so it's interesting you know i haven't had anything definitive happen i'm not claiming that's bigfoot but uh it's interesting that it's all kind of happening in the same area so i'm just sort of cautiously going forward and and making sure i i um write down all my observations or if anything's happening, audio recording, that sort of stuff, just to see if anything interesting may turn of it. I mean, it could just be other wildlife. I've run into moose and other animals in that area, and that's just a, a, a you know an amazing experience unto itself, let alone something mm. stranger. So going forward, we'll see. But I think um, with these new episodes that we'll be doing this summer for the show, I, you know, I, I think during the Pukwudgie episode we actually had an experience where we heard something that sounded like a wood knock, right, Nash? And um, oh yeah, and, and it, it we were like, oh, is this going to turn into like a, a Bigfoot thing now? Where you know, on the search of one thing and something else happens, and I think it turned out to actually be some sort of a machine or something in the distance. Uh, there's a construction site nearby, but it was like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, hmm. frigid, cold weather. So it was very strange to have that happening during that time period, but it was it was clearly metallic once we heard it multiple times. Multiple times but I just opened, I just opened up another kind of interesting avenue, I guess, avenue, I guess, for us to wonder if we can have it 11 p.m. Yeah, having a little issue with your audio there. Uh, so, uh, can you hear me? Yes, it was kind of breaking up there. It seems better now. Uh, ben has a question. Ah, uh, yes, as always. Um, so, I got distracted by the audio thing. I thought it was on our end. Spooked me. Um, anyway, so... Between all of these phenomena so far and the research that you two have done, have you found any sort of patterns, similarities, anything that kind of connects, you know, what you've experienced, say, you know, Bigfoot in one part of the country versus, you know, New Hampshire or, or anything like that? Has there been any sort of differences, similarities, anything in that realm? Patterns, maybe. Yeah, patterns probably a better word for it. All right, uh, Nash. I think, with uh, at least in the research standpoint, you know, you always find those similarities between you know things that kind of make you go, hmm. Um, mostly the you know mostly the ones that I kind of talk about are you know the the Sasquatch stuff and how you pretty much have all of these isolated cultures all over the world that have their own Bigfoot legend and pretty much describe the exact same thing. You know, having never spoken to each other or known about each other and um, 
I think you know. I think that with that, it's it, it kind of lends a little more credibility to uh, the possibilities of some of these, you know, Sasquatch uh, sightings and uh, stories maybe having some truth to them as being a unidentified animal. Um, and then obviously, see, I mean, the lake monster stuff kind of blew up, and everyone kind of had their own Loch Ness for a while, and. Uh, but uh, yeah, in terms of like similarities and stuff, I think my my main one that I usually kind of speak about is the is the Bigfoot stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that's one of the things that strikes me is, especially being very interested in the Bigfoot phenomena, is hearing reports from New Hampshire or New England that sound very similar to something that happened to somebody in Oregon in the 1970s or wherever else the case may be. That's very interesting. But I think just uh, the consistency of kind of the responses people have to a lot of these phenomena. Now, say, saying that, we obviously haven't gone to some of the locations we're planning on going to just yet because we're in production, but I have a feeling that we're going to get that similar sort of thing where people in a town or in a local area have descriptions of something they can't explain, right? And it doesn't matter if it's a lake monster or, uh, you know, more Bigfoot type thing. There's, there's very similar sort of attitude, perhaps. Some people write it off. Some people are all for it, right? Some people totally believe it. Some people are totally skeptical. I think you're going to experience that with whatever mystery you look into. And I think that's what's so great about what we're doing here is, so I'll just list off what we have planned uh, for this first season. So obviously the Pukwudgie, which is a very unique story, as you mentioned, in the New England area, uh, isn't really present in that many other places. Sure, there's stories of fairies and and little people, Menehunes, all over the world, but the Pukwudgie is definitely a Massachusetts, New England, story. The second creature will be the Mogollon monster of northern Arizona's Mogollon Rim, which is more of that classic Bigfoot type creature. Then we have Champ of Lake Champlain, which is an aquatic monster, obviously something that I've covered in depth. And the last one is the Rougarou, which is the werewolf, classic werewolf dogman sort of story in the swamps of southern Louisiana. So as I mentioned earlier, I think that there's so much different terrain here and so many different factors just from an environmental standpoint that each case is unique, but each cryptid is very unique. They're not just all Bigfoot-type animals or lake monster-type animals. You have a little bit of everything, and I think we'll definitely see some crossover perhaps in just the way that locals talk about it, the attitudes people have towards it, even though they are so unique. So I'm beyond excited, and I think it's going to be awesome, and uh, we're going to be doing some some great work and definitely putting our lives in risk maybe at some times, but as we mentioned <laughs> earlier, safety first. That's that's very important. Your swashbuckling life. Yes, we're going to ask you, I guess your psychic powers are pretty uh, pretty good today, Alec. I was just, just about to ask you what the future held for the, the production series. Well, I think uh, that we we exist in a time and a place that is is it allows us to be able to go to these places more easily, acquire equipment more easily. You know, you don't need a big budget production company behind you to be able to, you know, fund expeditions to, you know, not just like you know, with the continental United States, or you know, uh, you could just go wherever you want really and be able to, you know, examine these these reports, talk to the people there, and it's much more accessible now than it has been in, you know, the last decade or so. And I think that, you know, you, you're, both of you have, have perfect timing, right? Because now is, is like, the time when we can all kind of get together and research more effectively and be able to access everything. We weren't, be, we weren't able to access, you know, 10 years ago even, you know, with the, with the same degree that we have now. 
and it's it's both a blessing and a curse. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of really great great you know research that can come out of this initiative. So I got to give you both kudos for that because there is that that sort of zeitgeist of the time where we're able to you know as as y- younger p- younger generation be able to you know try different things do new new techniques of of investigation and be able to see what works you know test uh, the testament of our past and see you know how can we improve on this what more can we get out of this besides ah oh, well we don't know we got we got samples uh, that's it <laughs> what can we do better you know so in in my in I guess my my final question would be is what can we do better? Well, I think uh, you know we definitely benefit from you know Alex and I have definitely you know we're on the same age so we've grown up researching similar things and seeing how other people have have conducted themselves and can, can conducted these interview or, uh, investigations and and their own research. And we can kind of take what didn't work for them and apply it to our own stuff, so that way we're not wasting our time doing something that you know was proved and to not result in any sort of evidence or you know whatnot. Um, and I think in terms of what we can do better, I think we just as a community we just need to be better. I think. Um, I mean, Alex and I are pretty good at staying out of everything, but there's a lot of people in the community that are not, and. Um, you know, I think we're all, everyone in this community is trying, is, is out there for the same goal, at least, you know, on the surface of finding evidence of these creatures and, and, uh, bringing light to these stories and, and, you know, and I think if we all can just get along, <laughs> I think that would, uh, I think that would really, uh, change things in a whole and, Maybe bring, maybe help some people uh, research better because they're not trying to one up the next guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, just before we uh, run out of time here, I just wanted to point out one thing: uh, the term tree knocking. Uh, some people might not know what we're, what we mean, but uh, it's believed that uh, Bigfoot will uh, occasionally communicate with one another by t- picking up logs and banging them on trees. Uh, it could be Bigfoot. It could also be our colleague Shane Searway, uh, who has been known to do that in Pennsylvania uh, in, in yeah. uh, his enthusiasm for our work there. And uh, th- that's, that's the sort of thing. So, uh, well, it's interesting, if, if I could just add, uh, yeah. just a quick on that. Uh, chimpanzees actually have been uh, observed using wood knocking as a form of communication. That's right. And they're in two locations. So that's what's interesting is that people in North America, where they're, we're the only great ape that's supposed to be here, right? People describe this behavior. So that's just something interesting to note. Well, that, that, that's true. Well, I'm here. I'm uh, very happy to be today, of course, with uh, my, my son, Ben, my honorary son, Alec, and uh, Nash, uh, behave yourself, and uh, we'll see. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being with us, and uh, we look forward to seeing the future, the future of your excellent work, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, guys. Okay. Yeah, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. All right. So let's get to our announcements here. Uh, sadly, we have received word, as we said last week, that the 2020 Exeter UFO Festival has been canceled. But this great event, sponsored by the uh, Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities, will be back stronger than ever, I'm sure, in 2021. And we'll be back with our live panel broadcast from the Exeter Town Hall uh, next year. Now, Alrighty, assuming that things are uh, at least semi-normal uh, by 
October, hopefully. Uh, we plan to be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts on Columbus Day weekend. My dad is scheduled to be the keynote speaker to mark his 50th work anniversary in paranormal research. Yes, and uh, there has been some discussion uh, that that could be done digitally, but what we, or I should say virtually, but we will let you know as we receive information on this. Uh, and, of course, the people who speak at that conference, it's going to be um, a lot of our good friends here from the show, including uh, one of our guests today, certainly Alexander Petikoff, uh, Ben and I will be there, Shane Searway, and a lot of our uh, a lot of great people will be there, and Joe Citro from Vermont. Ah, yes, as the well Bard as of the Bazaar. The Bard of the Bazaar. Yes. All right. So uh, check out our books uh, along with uh, our those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, the, so far there has been no disruption of that site that we're aware of, but it is migrating to a new host. So it, if, if it's down, just give it a day and I'm sure it'll be back up. But so far, so good. Uh, you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, uh, and some of our 850, or more than that now, uh, broadcasts uh, from CBS Radio and from here on WON and other uh, sources from the last uh, 12 going on 13 years. And uh, those can also be found uh, on the the major podcast platforms, uh, iTunes, etc. Uh, they're pretty much all over the place, and uh, they're available for you to listen to. Yes, uh, and if you do happen to listen to us on iTunes, uh, please be so kind as to uh, give us a rating, leave a review. Helps us grow our show and helps us kind of get out there. I mean, we're we're out there in many different places. So if that's not your your particular cup of tea, we are. All over the place. Uh, there are also links to several charities that we have adopted on the show, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connections in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the S- and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the Milk Fund here in northern Rhode Island. We should add that, that these are charities we have vetted very, very carefully. We know the people who run them, and, and when you donate to them, the uh, the money goes where it's it's meant to, and not for necessarily for administration, et cetera. Particularly, help for Haiti's orphans. I've been to Haiti. Uh, it is very disconcerting to see the poverty, and uh, these are children who were orphaned pretty much during the earthquake in '05 uh. there. And uh, people here from Rhode Island actually run this charity. They're people of faith, and they do a wonderful job uh, running an orphanage down there. And uh, I haven't been to the orphanage, but uh, I know people who have, and it's, it's just a wonderful thing uh, to do. Mm. So, Ben, what do we have uh, for next week? So next week, June 28th, well, it's, gee, almost July, Time flies. Uh, we'll bring you Jim Willis, a historian who's convinced that there are some very bizarre factors in human history that are being suppressed. Now, that's, that's one of my favorite subjects. There you go. We leave you today with a thought from the 13th century Persian poet and theologian Rumi, one of my favorite guys. You were born with wings. Why prefer to crawl through life? I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno, and we have a few seconds here, so thank you for listening to us. And, you know, as always, happy Father's Day to my my, my father, who actually has probably been one of the biggest role models in my life, and I appreciate all the work that you've done over the years, and it has been... it's. Just, it's a pleasure knowing you, Dad. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ben. Thank you. And happy Father's Day to all fathers out there. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Everyone be safe. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 100